Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue our series on faith. <clears throat> We're going to talk today about Abraham, who was the father of our faith, meaning the Bible calls him the father of us all, in, of those who believe in faith in Romans chapter 4, Gentile and Jew. And he was the one who gave us an example of what it means to believe God in the absence of any, any written requirement. There was no law. What it meant to believe him, to instruct him in the way he should walk, how he should believe, uh, what he needed to trust in in order to see that his children would be blessed, how he needed to believe God to invade his circumstances and help him in, in places where he uh, could not help himself. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Lord, help us as we study. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to talk to you. One, he was definitively called. No question about that. Two, he was devotionally right on point, meaning he wanted to comply with the will of God with his actions in life. And three, he was directionally challenged. He was told to go, but he didn't know exactly where. Now, if you want to understand this passage well, and we're going to go through a little exercise today on how to exegete a passage. I can't go through everything, but I can give you some, some rough outlines so you can understand your, your Bible and know how to read it best. This passage allows us to understand something about who Abraham was. Now, most of the passages that you look at regarding this particular event in Abraham's life occurred when his name was Abram, not Abraham. His name got changed later, but we are going to continue to refer to him as Abraham, even though the things upon which the writer is communicating happened when he was Abram, A-B-R-A-M. And if you look at the passages associated with this passage, you get a fuller view of who this man was. But you've got to look at Genesis chapter 11, the bottom part, 28 through 31, You've got to look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And then you've got to look at Acts chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Genesis 11 and 12 detail the first mention of Abraham and his family. Genesis, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 7 are, are, it gives the account of Stephen, who happens to be a deacon in the church. Now, that's New Testament Acts. And he's given a recount of Israel's history as he's beginning to give a sermon to people that don't like what he is or who he is and are about to kill him. But he's giving them their history, and he starts with Abraham. And he talks about the journey that Abraham had. you got to figure out exactly who the writer of Hebrews is talking about because he's assuming that the people to whom he's writing know exactly who this guy was. But you may not. And so in order for us to study well... We've got to do all the due diligence that maybe the people who received the letter didn't, didn't have to. So we've got to figure out who's writing, to whom they're writing, what kind of verbiage are they using. Is it prose? Is it narrative? Is it historical? Is it poetry? Is it an epistle? We have to figure out the language. What does it look like? Nouns, verbs, conjugates, direct objects beginning to figure out what the Greek is, if you can, which is the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament. Thinking about the context in which the writer is writing and the people are reading. 
What city is it? Who's in charge? What are the things they're facing in that city? Is there persecution that's immediate? Context is huge. All those things you use before you ever come to an interpretation of what the passage means. And that inclusive of understanding what the other passages may speak about regarding the person or the circumstance about which the writer is writing. And so that's why I'm using these other things to help you understand a little bit about who Abraham was. What a man. What a human being. He did right before anybody had what right was down on paper. Do you know how many versions of right you've got? You've got a New American Standard Bible. You've got New King James. You've got, new, you've got Old King James. You've got new, new International Version. There are about 80 different versions of the Bible you can get to tell you how to do right. You've got CDs. You have podcasts. You have family Christian bookstore filled with a bunch of books that tell you how to do right. You've got friends. You've got Bible studies. You've got small groups. You've got pastors. You've got so many resources to help you do right. And we still are challenged by Abraham to try to live up to what he did when he had nothing. Nothing except what God said. One word, leave everything you know to be familiar. Follow me, and I'll show you when you show up where you're supposed to be. I'll let you know. As soon as you get there, I'll say, hey, you made it. Where am I going? Doesn't matter. Just go. I'm not telling you right now. Can you imagine the rich conversation that Abram must have had with his wife, Sarai? (laughs) (laughs) Baby, God God told me to, to leave told us to leave. Oh, which God? (laughs) The God. Remember, most of the world was in idolatry. In fact, almost all the world was in idolatry, evidenced by the fact that you look at the passage in Genesis chapter 11 before it gets to Abraham, and the whole chapter 11 speaks of the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel was a place at which the people of the earth In fact, we think just about all of them had joined together to build a tower reaching to heaven so that they could could form a name for themselves. And and, and we, we, we think that this probably wasn't wasn't designed as the first skyscraper, though they wanted to make it high because they were astrologers. And that the idea of a tower to heaven didn't just mean build it tall so we can get there, so we can can get closer to the heavens, but in dedication of the heavens. We worship the star. They were astrologers. And they were hoping that, that if they built this building... They could, you know, connect better with the stars and, and, and that the heavens and all the, 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 the bodies that floating around in, in our solar system would somehow bring them blessing if they lined up well. Astrology, which is different than astronomy. Astronomy is the accurate study of all the celestial bodies that exist in our solar system, our galaxy, and our universe. That's just trying to figure out how things go out there. Astrology is that Pisces thing. That Sagittarius thing, that Taurus thing, that you are not. 
I don't care what month you were born in, you're not that. The stars are only saying one thing. Psalm 19 says they tell us the glory of God. That's all they're saying. They aren't telling you who to marry. They aren't telling you which job to take. They aren't telling you how your day's supposed to go. They only say one thing. They talk about the glory of God. So throw away your horoscope. Because it is, it is detracting from your relationship with the Holy Spirit who is supposed to guide you. These people were building a tower to the stars. And it's somewhere around the same era, even though it's probably a thousand years prior, to what the Egyptians did with their, temp- their, their pyramids. Those were dedicated to the stars. If you go there at Giza, you'll see the three are related to the celestial bodies in the sky. And so this wasn't new. But God said... All the peoples of the earth are joined in this one event. They are of one purpose and of one mind. And considering that nobody is disagreeing, I don't think anything they choose to do on the planet will be impossible to them. That's how unified they are. So I love them too much to let them succeed because they're going the wrong way fast. They're going to really mess up their entire lives and their kids' lives. So I got to stop them. And what he did is he confused their language. Just one day, fellas were talking about how to put two-by-fours up with one another and stones upon one another and how do you put the pitch in between the two. And as they were talking, one guy said, hey, put, put that two-by-four there. And the other guy said, what's wrong with you? That's the way it went. Something like that, and all of a sudden, nobody could speak with one another. And now they were divided up into families, clans, and chaos reigned over the earth. Out of chaos came Abraham. It would be nice, really great, if all of us came into the kingdom Because we woke up one day after Publishers Clearinghouse had shown up at our door with a $5 million check. And our children were all happy and healthy, 11 o'clock in bed in in, in our home. And and they're 18. (laughs) And all they want to do is they're they're raising money for the next missions trip. And, and, And the marriage is going so well, now you all are putting on marriage seminars for people. And the house is paid for, health is good. And we just wake up one day and say, you know, we need to serve Jesus with all of our heart. (laughs) Generally, that's not the way it happens. Be nice if it did. But that's generally not. The way you got here, not in Grace Covenant, but in the kingdom, is that chaos reigned. Your life was usually, generally, a wreck. Lord, help I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get out of here. I need you desperately to deliver me from these bad moments. God, help me. That's usually the primary way that God brings people into the kingdom. Life doesn't go the way you want. And out of chaos, God began to sow seeds into this man, Abraham. He said, I got something for you. When chaos reigns in your life, Turn your ear. Turn your ear to heaven.
because he's got something to say. It is the environment in which wonderful seeds can be planted for what's next direction in your life. Abraham, listen to me. I want you to leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. This is the first time on record that we have that Abraham heard anything about who God was or from him. Maybe there was conversation, but we don't have it recorded. But the beauty is this. He heard and he obeyed. Back to the conversation with Sarah. Where are we going? I don't know. Ho, 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 hold up. Ho, hold up, babe. You want me to pack up my house and you want me to, to take away all the things that are familiar to me to go to a place that you don't know where we're going? Now, I know I'm supposed to follow you, but this sounds stupid. <laughs> Why wouldn't he tell you where he's supposed to go? I don't know. He just told me to go. Now, come on, Abraham. That don't make no sense. That don't make any sense. Why would, who just goes and doesn't know where they're going? You don't have a map. You ain't got nothing. What? Rich conversation. But Abram obeyed. And as he obeyed, God began to do something. But he had to put himself in a position to hear. And somehow as he heard, the distance between what he heard and what he did was so short that we hardly even recognize that the heart had to be engaged. He closed it in a hurry when for, for, for many of us, that distance seems wide, long, wide. We don't allow our hearts to engage with the will of God because we have to determine. Does that make sense? I mean, I know what God said, but really, really, you mean I have to give up that and I got to give up that and I got to stop doing that, and I can't go there anymore? Really? I mean, can I just... I, I, I'm not trying to be a saint or nothing. I'm not trying to be a missionary. I just want to go to heaven. <laughs> That's all I am, you know. I am trying... You make the distance between what you hear and what you do so long that you need a road map from, from D.C. to California to try to figure out how to get to the right spot. With Abraham... He embraced the will of God immediately, immediately. And when you put yourself in a position to hear what God is saying, like coming to church on a Sunday or going to a small group or being a part of our lead well or whatever thing that we're doing or things that you're doing in other places, listening to the, the radio about uh, good preachers, when you put your place, put yourself in a place where you're hearing, it's important for your heart to be engaged to such a degree that you've already built the on-ramp to obedience. So that when you hear, you're, you're postured to saying, Lord, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not going to have to re-decide whether your will is a good idea. Yeah. I've already decided that what you tell me, I'm going to do. So that that distance closes in a hurry. You've got to embrace the will of God after you hear it so that you can engage in the doing. Because the doing is the point. It's not the hearing. Amen. Let me say that again. The doing is the point, not the hearing. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 24. Two fellows were in church. They heard the word of God. The first guy heard, said, Woo, that sounds a really good sermon. Pastor Brett was on today. That was amazing, dude. <laughs> on Monday, he forgot. He began to go out and build his life, not remembering anything that was said, nor doing anything that was said. And as he began to build his life, he forgot that a storm was right around the corner. 
There was another guy who heard. He said, oh, boy, Pastor Brett was really hot. That's great. <sighs> boy, I got to do what he said or else I, I don't know what might happen. I really want to obey God here. He began to put into practice what he heard. As a result of putting into practice what he heard, things began to be mapped out. He moved away all the stuff that would, would be an impediment to his building. The second guy built his house on rock. The first guy decided to build his house on the sand the easy way. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to go through the process of trying to figure out how can I obey God. He just wanted some place to live in. Didn't matter whose construction architectural design he used. As a result, both experienced a storm. The guy who built his house on the sand, house wiped away. The guy who built his house on the rock, shutters gone, shingles missing. Needed a new paint job, but he was dry. <laughs> Obedience allows you the privilege of building something that hearing never will. And if you think you're doing all the will of God in the midst of your hearing only, you just started. You've got to obey. Don't think you're just blessed by the hearing. Build that on-ramp in your soul. To where the distance between what you hear and what you do seems so short that it's like it's immediate. We see Abraham allowing the will of God to be embraced by him. And as a result, it says, number two, he went out. He was devotionally compliant. He went out. Now, the going out here needs some explanation. If you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 4, Stephen says that when he went out, he heard from Mesopotamia that he was supposed to go, and then he went. Now, if you remember your fourth grade social studies, there was a place called Mesopotamia from which most of what we know as the Western world derived its culture. And Mesopotamia was that spot where humanity, they think, really began to, to develop modern-day civilization. That's where Abraham was, in Ur of the Chaldees or Mesopotamia. Stephen says he heard from God there. But if you look over in Genesis, you see Genesis, the latter part of 11, says that he traveled with his family to Haran, which was about 600 miles northwest, in order to go to the land of Canaan, which was south. Now, he was on his way, but he would go 600 miles from your perspective, 600 miles northwest, and then go south. But he traveled with his family. But it says in Genesis chapter 12, preceding 11, obviously, God says, leave your, leave your country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. So you superpose, superimpose that passage over uh, uh, Acts chapter 7, and then understand also, we're reading in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and you say, well, wait a minute. In Genesis, it says that he already had gone to Haran, and then in Genesis chapter 12, after being in Haran in Genesis chapter 11, it says the Lord spoke to him. But Stephen said the Lord spoke to him when he was in Mesopotamia. And if the Lord spoke to him in Mesopotamia regarding he needed to leave his country, his relatives, and his household, his father's household, and go to the land, why did he take all of his family with him? Because it says that he took his brothers, Nahor and Haran. Well, Nahor, Haran had died. And his father, Terah. And so the whole clan moved from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran on their way to the promised land. 
But God said, leave your country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's household. Well, we do know this, that before we can begin to ascribe disobedience to Abraham, we need to explore all the possibilities of how God said what he said and how Abram may have heard it. Because you never want to take a guy who's better than you at obedience and then say he might have done something wrong when Scripture doesn't say it. So I don't think Abraham obeyed, disobeyed. I think he was right on point. I just think we aren't reading right. Meaning this, God spoke to him in Ur of the Chaldees. And we know that to be true because Stephen said it. In Genesis 12, it doesn't say, then God spoke to him as, as, a, as, as related to him being in Haran. It just says God spoke to him, meaning there is no time frame mentioned in Genesis 12. So it's a general sense about what God said. It doesn't give time. So I think what Abraham heard is this. He heard it in stages. He didn't hear it all at once as it needed to be done. Meaning, leave your country. Oh, check. Took everybody out of the country. The next thing was, leave your relatives in your father's household. Well, we do know this. When he got to Haran, Terah, his father, passed. Hmm. God didn't say, leave your dad. He said, leave your father's household. Not a good idea when your father is aging and you know he doesn't have much longer to live, to leave him. Not a good idea. So Abraham was being obedient in stages as God committed to him what he knew to be true about what needed to be done and in the order. But when his father Terah died, he left his father's household and all of his relatives and came to the land. Are you following me? I'm trying to help you understand how to read your Bible so it makes sense. Now listen to me. If you understand this to be true, it ought to encourage you. Because God is not calling you to do everything at once. Are you listening to me? He's asking you, just, just start with this. Leave the world. Just, leave, just do, do that for me. Leave the world system. Don't be a part of anything in this world anymore. Stop doing like they do. Stop saying like they say. Stop thinking like they think. Get out of the world. Come into the kingdom. Let's start there. Start like that. We got some possibilities. He's not asking you to be the apostle Paul right now. Though there may be a destiny for you, there are stages to get there. Let's start with leave. And if you haven't done that, you can't do anything else. Leave. As we superimpose Abraham's life over ours, that's where we got to go first. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're out there in the world, if you're living a, a duplicitous life, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, trying to figure out how you can come to church every week to be absolved of everything you did on a Friday and Saturday night, and then go back through the process, and next week and come back to church next week in order to be forgiven for everything you did. That's not the way to leave. That's a way to stay in a way that's hypocritical. You're not trying to leave. You're just trying to be forgiven for what you're, you're, you're doing and, and how you're living. Leave because you're only hurting yourself. You're damaging your soul. You're hurting people around you. I know, that, I know the way that story ends. It's not pretty. Please leave. If you've left, 
Oh, there is so much more God has for you. There are other requirements. There are other things he wants you to do. And you've got to keep your ear attuned to what he would want, want you to do. He told me to leave not only the world, but to leave Indiana University and come here in 1982. I had already graduated from Indiana in, in December of 1981, and I was in campus ministry. I had started, I, I got born again in March of 1981, right with God. And I was in ministry by December of 1981. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I mean, I was, I was born again for eight months. And by the time I finished, I graduated early from college, three and a half years. By the time I had finished in December, I was in ministry. So first week, finals were done. Wow. I was excited. But I knew nothing. And all I had was a lot of zeal with no wisdom. And within... Within nine months of that, I was sent here. So you're talking 16, 17 months. Somebody thought it was a good idea for a 21-year-old to help start a church who had just been born again for under two years. I wasn't the senior pastor, thank God. But I was helping. I was a part of the leadership. Wow. I had no clue. It wasn't any longer Brett leave the world. It was, Brett, leave what's comfortable. Leave what's familiar. Leave your household. It was tough enough on my family when I got right with God. I was a little radical, and I was preaching on campus a lot, and they didn't understand this new Brett. My mother and father thought I was nuts. My brother and sister tried to understand, but they couldn't. My grandfather... Uh, was really upset with me because he thought he had raised me better than that to go out and start talking to people, cold call on the street about Jesus. And so nobody was in favor of what I was doing. But when I decided that I was going to take this hobby on the side and make it a profession, oh, it was a really bad day. Everybody thought, oh. And it, it was so bad that I, I, I just, I begged God. I said, Lord, just help me succeed to the point at which my mother no longer has to explain me to her friends. You know that conversation. Vi, how's Brett doing? Oh, he's, he's fine. Um, he's in Washington, D.C., and he's, he's doing a wonderful job there. He's, 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 um, he's doing ministry. Is he with the church? Yeah. But he's, he's, he's doing it at Howard University. Oh, he's employed by the university. No. <laughs> My mother had to explain me. And it was hard. So hard. I said, God, just make me respectable. Give me a little church someday. So my mother just says he's a pastor of a church. It was so difficult to leave my family. They wanted me to be a, be a dentist. And my dad's practice was a dentist practice. And I would take it over, family business. And I was accepted to Meharry Medical School in 1982. I, was, I had a seat there at the school in Nashville, Tennessee. And in four years, I'd be out, take over my daddy's practice, pay his retirement, have all of his clients, have no overhead, making about six figures in 1985 in Kansas City as a 25-year-old. Wow, can't beat that. Yes, you can. God called me. 
My dad was mad. My mom was mad. Everybody thought I had betrayed the family. I had to leave in proximity. But I didn't leave in heart. As a result of me leaving the world and departing from that which they wanted me to do, I stayed the course in ministry, and though it didn't make any sense, I said, Lord, I'm following you by faith because those folk that I love so much, they aren't following me. They don't want any part of what I'm doing. They hate what I'm doing. They think I'm foolish. They're embarrassed by me. I don't know how to fix that, and it doesn't look like the path I'm on is going to help. Please help me. I'm walking by faith here, but I don't see any natural way that this is going to be right. All I can say is God can converge paths that look divergent. I led my grandfather to the Lord on his deathbed. I led my dad to the Lord. My wife led my sister to the Lord. I led my brother to the Lord. All my kids are right with God. My brother's kids are right with God. My sister's kids are right with God. Four generations. When you walk by faith, it doesn't look as good as you'd like. It doesn't make as much sense as you would like. It's counterintuitive to everything that's natural. It doesn't feel right. It's painful, uncomfortable, inconvenient. Everything that seems going the wrong direction, but it's right, and you walk by faith. I try to play golf. But all I do is hit the ball. I really don't, don't play golf. I, when I, if I score below 100, I'm, I'm feeling that's a good day. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about golf, generally it's 72 is par. And if you score, you know, any place around there, 10 above, you're a pretty good golfer. And if you do 20 above, you're not a pretty good golfer. And I was doing more than 20 above. And I thought if I break 100, I'm doing good. The higher the score, the worse. Um, I was out there on the range one day, and I was practicing, and I had a guy come up behind me and say, hey, would you like some lessons? What that meant is you stink. <laughs> he saw my swing. He saw I'd be, and he was a pro. And he, he, um, I said, well, you know, I, I don't have the money. He said, oh, I'll give you a couple of pointers. So he, he, he replaced my feet in different spots and told me to hold the, the club a little differently and to swing a little differently. And I did exactly what he said. And do you know how unnatural it felt? Wasn't what I was used to. Just felt all wrong. But the more I did it, the more the ball went straight. He said, now I know it. He, he said, I know it doesn't feel right. But the more you do it, the more it'll feel right and the better you'll score. There's nothing about Christianity that feels natural. It all feels counterintuitive. It all feels wrong because the only thing you've known is the way you've been living. That's what feels best. But you're scoring 120. You're terrible. Your golf game is terrible. But you're happy because it feels right. And all the other people around you are scoring the same thing. So you're feeling good. In order... For you to score better, 
You've got to swing in a way that's uncomfortable. You have to walk in a way that doesn't feel right. You walk by faith. Doesn't seem like anything's going to work out the way you think, but you just go. Lord, have your way. I'm walking. I'm not departing from the path. Have your way. He went out trying to figure out how to talk to his wife and all. He didn't just go now with his wife. He went with the people who happened to be his servants. They weren't family. He had to take his nephew Lot with him because his brother Haran had died and Abraham was the eldest. And the responsibility fell to the eldest son. If your brother had a son, you now had to take him as your son if that brother died. So Abram had to take Lot with him. That was his responsibility. But he took no other family members. But he did have help in that he was a fairly wealthy man. He had 318 men who were trained in his house. We know that to be the truth because the Bible says it in chapter 14 as he went out to war to try to save his nephew who had gotten into trouble. Well, those 318 men cared for his sheep, his cattle, his donkeys, seamstresses, cooks, everybody who dealt. He was, a, he was a, a small, larger than small business traveling. And those 318 men were probably married. So that's 736. And then they got kids. They may have four or five. You're talking about three to 5,000 people traveling with Abraham. That's quite a troop. Trying to explain all to them is everybody say, you know where we're going? <laughs> does anybody know where we're going? Well, we're following Abraham. I know, but does he know where we're going? Conversations like that, you just can't explain. Abraham says, no, God will show me when we get there. He went. And he was directionally challenged. But that challenge didn't deter him. And the beauty is this. When you obey God, though he's requiring us to walk by faith and we cannot see all the path, we generally know the direction in which we're supposed to go. I mean, he knew the idea about where he was supposed to be from where he started in Ur of the Chaldees to where he was, a little bit southwest. But not exactly the spot southwest. So if God were to tell me, go southwest, well, there's North Carolina, there's Tennessee, there's Mississippi, there's Georgia. There's, that's a lot of southwest, Lord. That's a lot of southwest. I'll tell you when you get there. And when he got to the promised land, a place called Shechem, the Lord said, this is the spot I'm going to give to your children as an inheritance. And it says that Abram worshipped. We'll talk about this next week. He worshipped. He built an altar and worshipped. When you obey God, he'll confirm where you ought to be. He'll let you know. He'll speak to you and say, thank you, this is it. If you had not have come this far, you wouldn't hear my voice about the inheritance you ought to have. And I'm telling you, I did not know you'd be here. Again, I was just believing to have something that was respectable. Then you showed up. 5,000 folks that call us home. I didn't know. I was just trying to get a couple hundred. You don't know. If I'd stayed in Kansas and worked in people's mouths, <laughs> I would have had a captive audience, would I not? Could have preached the gospel to them, been a good Christian. But you wouldn't have been here. And we wouldn't have built this. 
God would not have been able to construct through us what he's done. And that has nothing to do with my skill sets or proficiency. It's just him. All I did was not say no. That's the biggest thing that anybody can lay at my feet as credit. I just didn't say no. And I'm convinced that there must have been a whole lot of other people who did because I could not have been his first round draft choice. No seminary degree. 18 months right with God at the most. I couldn't have been his first choice. I couldn't have been. Everybody else just said no. I was at the end of the bench and I wanted to play. Are you willing to walk by faith? He'll help you stair step. He'll give you a, pro a progress report along the way. He'll let you know when you show up. He's not asking you to do everything at once. But he is asking you to step out and do his will. The beauty is that it's usually at the end bigger than you ever thought. Better than you ever thought. You stay on the road. You can't help but get better. Father, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Help us as we try to do your will at a high level. Give us the grace to walk as we should.